0: What does a lung transplant sound like? Hello, I'm Rob Hoyle, and welcome to a very special edition of 20 Minute Health Talk. Today, you'll hear the delicate and life-giving moments of Lindsay Salguero-Lopez's double lung and heart transplant. Later in the show, we speak with members of the team that performed the first lung transplant on Long Island and cared for Lindsay throughout her recovery. They discuss the rising need for lung transplant in the area and what goes into launching a world class program. But first, we take you through the sounds of surgery and its aftermath. On January 27, 2022, Lindsay's life changed forever. She entered North Shore University Hospital near death after a lifelong heart defect had taken a turn for the worse. The 40-year-old mother in Port Washington resident was in need of a double lung and heart transplant to survive. While hopeful that a donor would come in time, Lindsay had already spent years on the transplant waiting list. Dr. Zachary Kahn, Northwell Surgical Director of Advanced Heart Failure and Cardiac Transplantation, as well as Advanced Lung Failure and Lung Transplantation, explains.
1: One of the really big struggles within the field of transplantation is having a really sick patient in front of you that you want to help, but just being limited by the number of available donors and it's an issue for her it's an issue really for every patient currently on a wait list will an organ come in time will we be able to help that patient will they make it to transplant
0: miraculously just three days after northwell listed her on february 2nd her status now reflecting her emergent situation Lindsay received life-changing news
1: everything looks really really good now they just sent me a new set of numbers and everything it's perfect
2: perfect, so it's definitely a go? As of right now, as again, it, you
1: okay. Know, okay. still have to physically get there and touch it and see it, but so far, all really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll keep you posted and updated okay. as soon as we know, okay?
2: That's
0: good, yeah. In the hours before surgery, Lindsay's mother Alma offered reassurance and support as she has done throughout her life.
2: My mom never stopped fighting and looking for other options. So I have an unrepair VSD, which is a hole in my heart. When I was little, doctors didn't really give much uh, hope to my parents, you know. They told them, well, they don't get to live farther than 10 years old, you know. Once we learned that there could be treatment here in the United States, the process began to, you know, move to the States. That took 10 years.
0: After moving from Guatemala to the U.S. in 1997, Lindsay found a pulmonologist and treatments that allowed her to live her life. She got married, had a son, and even started a career in modeling but as their condition turned critical in recent years, her family has had to step in to help her manage the simplest of daily activities, bathing, cooking, dressing. Now it was time to prepare for surgery.
2: I was just talking to my mom, I said to her, I wonder how, what, what is it gonna feel like to breathe normal, to be able to breathe, just breathe without pain and without, you know, yeah, you know, I'm very curious about it. I can't wait to just wake up and." Take a breath and know what it's like to feel to breathe normal because I've never felt that. I don't know what that feels like.
0: Shortly after 2 a.m. on Saturday, February 5th, Lindsay was moved from the cardiothoracic ICU to the adjacent operating room at North Shore University Hospital.
3: Ready at, ready at 15, right? yeah, yes. right.
0: Just after 5 a.m. on February 5th, Paul Gellert, a physician assistant in the operating room, received the news that heart and lungs were on the way by way of ambulance. Paul oversaw the communication with the procurement team during surgery, relaying real-time updates sent by texts about the status of the donor organs to Dr. Khan and the team. Thank you. You're After a successful handoff in the ambulance bay at North Shore University Hospital, Paul rushed the organs up to the OR, okay, I'm up front. Thank you. In a minute. where the surgical team led by Dr. Zachary Khan had just removed Lindsay's damaged heart and lungs. <laughs> Dr. Khan removes the donor heart and lungs from the box, which arrive and are transplanted as one block. Fluid surrounds the organs for cushioning and preservation.
1: As soon as uh, that box had arrived with the organs, we were actually ready for implantation.
0: Before moving to the surgical table to complete the transplant process, the team thoroughly examines all three organs.
1: We're removing a lot of excessive tissue that comes over with it, usually connective tissue and things like that that we don't need to put into her new body. Um, And then just preparing the places where we will make the connections between the organ and uh, where her old heart and lung used to be connected. Because she had such long-standing, her entire life, uh, elevated pressures in her lungs, she did have incredibly engorged arteries that left her aorta called bronchial arteries. And those took quite a bit of time to very carefully tease out and uh, what we call ligate or close off in order to avoid any kind of post-operative bleeding issues.
0: Organs only have a limited time that they can be outside of the body and preserve without starting to develop some degree of injury. For hearts, that window is between four and five hours. For lungs, it's between five and six hours.
1: The implantation time to do all of the connections to the point that we're ready to take the cross clamp off is probably between 45 minutes and an hour. And uh, once you take that clamp off, it's pretty instantaneous uh, to start to see some heart activity.
0: With Lindsay's new heart now fully connected, the blood circulating through the bypass machine is allowed back into the heart. At this point, Dr. Khan calls for small paddles to shock the heart. Paddles, paddles
1: at this I have a plastic at the middle.
0: I'll, I'll... This restarts the heartbeat which gets progressively stronger.
1: Just the right side of the heart, right.
4: contracting
0: At the same time, the lungs begin to pump.
1: It in itself is pretty awe-inspiring, but it's really what it signifies that uh, we likely have helped this patient uh, get better, and, and that family restored hope that their loved one's going to go home and, and do well.
0: After a six to seven hour procedure, Lindsay became the first person on Long Island to receive a lung transplant, and of course, a heart too. Just four days later, Lindsay celebrated her 40th birthday and was able to breathe without the help of oxygen for the first time in at least a decade.
2: Lindsay, no more oxygen. No more oxygen. (laughs) Throw
0: it in the garbage. No more Over a month has passed since Lindsay's procedure, and she is incredibly grateful for her new
2: life. It's just an honor to have somebody else's heart beeping inside you. It's it's gonna be, you know, great. But every time I hear my heart, I know it's gonna be that person's heart at the same time.
0: The number of New Yorkers requiring a lung transplant have tripled over the last decade. There are currently just 73 lung transplant centers in the United States. The Northwell Health Transplant Center at North Shore University Hospital launched its program to fill an urgent need. Recently, Lindsay returned to Northwell Health to thank her medical team and raise awareness about the need for organ donations like the three that saved her life. Our colleague David Reich-Hale spoke with Lindsay's medical team who came together to celebrate Lindsay's new lease on life and Long Island's first lung transplant. They include Dr. Zachary Kahn, Lindsay's surgeon, who you heard from earlier, Dr. Aldo Iacono, Medical Director of Advanced Lung Failure and Lung Transplantation, and Paul Trevelos, AVP of Cardiothoracic Surgery and Administrative Lead for Northwell's Lung Transplant Program.
5: I'm David Reich-Hale, and today we are at Northwell Health Headquarters, where an event just took place celebrating the first lung transplant on Long Island, and it was actually a lung heart transplant, and we are joined with doctors who helped with the patient's care, and so we just saw Lindsay, and you all watched her speak. What was that like, Dr.
1: Khan? Yeah, I mean, it's the reason we do this. It... reinforces all the hard work and dedication that this amazingly fantastic team uh, has put into this program and to her care in particular to see her that healthy, that happy, that full of joy, um, can't, uh, can't be put into words other than to say awe-inspiring. She's about a month out from the surgery, maybe a little bit more than a month now.
5: How is she doing? Superbly.
4: Yeah,
1: really well. Yeah, I mean fantastic. The only, only limitations she actually has right now are just to allow her incisions to heal, uh which take place over, you know, 2 to 3 months, but beyond that, she's able to do anything she wants and she has been doing anything she wants. She really wants to go kayaking, which I told her to give me a little bit more time, but um Again, that's really for an incisional healing standpoint, but not from a functional standpoint for me, they're heart or lungs, which are essentially normal now. Well, realistically, she probably can't kayak in this area until June or July by then, maybe? Uh, yeah,
5: absolutely. Dr. Yakano, how often do you have to check in with Lindsay?
4: It's usually more than once a day, at least in the beginning. You know, so she gets uh, boutique, boutique care, um, And, you know, that's just how we do things, the, uh, which makes us special, you know, we, I think the, the group that we put together goes above and beyond from the top down to the, you know, from the, from Paul and the Zach and the nurse practitioners that we work with, uh, Aisha and Gina and Maria, you know, they all do a great job putting it all together. But I would say that the the problems in the field are, you know, we need more organs. Uh, there are too many people that die with this condition that don't have to die. You know, they should be referred. Uh, you need more uh, government sponsorship of how transplant is looked at as a life-saving procedure. It's uh, it's a way underutilized procedure with so many deaths occurring. With COVID, uh, you know, there are 6 million deaths in the, in the world so far, most of them from respiratory disease. Why aren't those patients being assessed and treated by lung transplant when they can be? lack of resources, lack of donor awareness, lack of political support for a life-saving procedure. And uh, that's why we came
3: here on Long Island to start it up. But It's going to need a lot more than just Long Island. And Dave, I was just going to mention on top of that is how do you build a world-class program, not just a program? And that's what the mindset going into this was. Um, I think people don't really understand how much a multidisciplinary team this took to get her to this point. And there's so many people that actually contributed in the care of Lindsay, other than the transplant pulmonologist, transplant cardiologist. Uh, her regular pulmonologist has been taking her care of her for many, many years that got her to this point and kept her alive and kept her will and hope and everything abreast to actually have her do the surgery. Um, it's a Herculean effort that he actually did on his own. So uh, we have to give him all the credit in the world. Yeah, and, and, and Dr. Khan.
1: Yeah, I might just add to that. You know, we always talk about the physicians, but these teams are incredibly large, multidisciplinary, multi specialty, multi professional uh, groups that have to come together to make this successful. It includes nursing and nurse practitioners and physician assistants and physical therapists, nutritionists. And w- we at Northwell, I think, have, if not the one of the best groups uh, that could have been assembled. And it only because of the hard work and dedication of all of those folks, in addition to the physicians on the team, were we able to be as successful with this case as we were.
5: It's it's very infrequent that you have a heart-lung transplant. Is that mainly because of the lack of organs?
1: Yeah, so I think it's a couple things. Historically, uh, the first lung transplants actually were performed as heart-lung blocks. Uh, But as isolated lung transplantation became more and more successful, the realization uh, that that procedure can alleviate the need for a heart-lung transplant became apparent, and therefore the number of heart-lung transplants performed specifically for a disease called pulmonary hypertension uh, rapidly plummeted. So the overall indications to replace one's heart and lungs are much smaller than just isolated lungs or isolated hearts. That's part of the reason. The second is it's it's a resource allocation uh, consideration. You're using two lungs and a heart for one patient rather than uh, potentially transplanting three patients. Not to say we shouldn't do it. I'm an uh, avid uh, um, uh, believer in appropriate allocation to each individual patient to give them what they need to give them the best chance at success. Uh, but we do have to be um, conscientious and, and aware of the consequences of uh, organs being utilized uh, the way they are or in a different fashion.
5: And, and I want to talk a little bit more about the launch of this at North Shore and at Northwell. But first, I just want to ask a couple more questions about Lindsay. Dr. Yakano, what are you looking for? What are you asking her? Because from her standpoint, she says she feels so much better than she did before. She can't believe that she can walk down the hall or walk through a store and have full breath. What are you looking for?
4: With a transplant, nothing can be taken for granted. And um, I hope she's not listening to this, but disaster is always around the corner um, if you don't pay attention. And uh, the, the immunosuppressive drugs that we use are highly toxic. The therapeutic index is narrow. That means that the doses you give cause a lot of side effects, essentially. And we try to minimize the side effects with toxic medications uh, and optimize the potential benefits. So it's constantly a give-take. And, uh, you know, there, there has to be improvements in, in uh, therapies given. Uh, more dollars needs to be devoted to lung disease uh, to make this, a you know, a more standard procedure. And uh, it's just too, too darn expensive. Uh, we need to cut the cost and get more physicians and surgeons involved so that the cost can go down so we can actually save more lives and just make it more affordable.
5: Paul, you mentioned Northwell having a world-class program.
3: What went into ramping it up and how long did it take? So first and foremost, we backed into this with actually the people. Uh, Finding Dr. Iacona was, um, was extremely important. Having somebody with this knowledge base that we could actually... I don't want to say hit the ground running, but he was able to do that. Um, We had the other, which is the medical part of this, the surgical part being Dr. Khan, who uh, was already at Northwell, feels extremely comfortable transplanting hearts and lungs, uh, and then the support staff around it. um, Having multiple ACP support, um, multiple services of other specialties, whether it be GI, endocrine, uh, ID, infectious disease, and all the other things that take to stand up a program. A ton of Coordination, uh, a ton of planning, uh, and a lot of buy-in from individuals.
1: And I think there's two ways that programs start, having now started two programs uh, myself. There are institutions that want to present the bare minimum necessary, and there's nothing wrong with that approach, but it it certainly hinders your ability to rapidly grow. It hinders your ability to innovate. Uh, Northwell has really taken the opposite approach, which is let's have everything in place before we even open the doors so that we can, as Paul uh, stated, uh, hit the ground running and have the ability to be a mature program from day one rather than a new program that's trying to you know, find its feet.
5: Northwell also offered the first liver and first heart transplant on Long Island and has teased out these programs over the years. Did that help your team in launching this new lung program?
1: Absolutely. That made our job easier because many of the expertise around transplantation was already present or were already present prior to um, us Uh, putting together the specifics for lung transplantation. And uh, lung transplantation, I would argue, is the um, most difficult to do right because I think they are the most challenging of patients to be successful with. So it makes sense, which is uh, I think why Northwell did it in the way they did, is to build all the other programs up first, get them established, and then add lungs on uh, last to have the comprehensive, uh, full uh, transplant spectrum.
5: So, Dr. Kahn and Dr. Y- Yakono, what can you talk a little bit about why you joined Northwell?
4: Since so I'm the newest here, I'll start. Um, I was born in New York, in Brooklyn, and um, you know I, I left 30 years ago to learn transplant. There was no center, not even uh, the centers in Manhattan existed and have been away since uh, since that period of time. It's probably over 30 years, and there's still not a transplant program here. My friend, Dr. Khan, had joined, and uh, it would be nice to make this kind of the last hurrah, and start a really good center here, help people on Long Island.
1: Yeah, to, for me, it was the willingness and the commitment from Northwell to not just have a program, not just have a high-quality program, but to have a world-class program that would be innovative and push the field uh, forward. And I've always viewed myself as someone who doesn't wanna just do transplants, but wants to grow the field. And Northwell seems to really be in line with that. And thus far has really stood behind their commitments to make that happen.
5: What about your approach?
1: How do you differentiate yourself? Sure. from. The surgical standpoint, um, I tend to minimize the incisions as much as possible. And this isn't for a cosmetic reason, but rather a recovery uh, of the individual patient. I think in lung transplantation, that's particularly important because I think their outcome really can be driven by their early postoperative recovery phase. So I think minimizing the size of the incisions and the location of the incisions and avoiding um, sawing through the breastbone can be very advantageous for that purpose. Uh, I utilize a lot of intraoperative support. And by that, I mean uh, utilizing um, a miniaturized version of a heart-lung machine in order to facilitate the operation. I think that keeps patients much more stable throughout the case. I think it uh, protects the lungs uh, significantly more. And I think we're able to get away with longer ischemic times, which is how long the lungs have not been in a body and preserved so we can go further out and we can look at more donors for individuals. I think it uh, overall has translated just into better outcomes uh, regardless of the uh, donor um, qualities.
4: I would say that um, experience with the hardest and the sickest patients over the years has made a difference in our training uh, that, that makes the simple cases a lot simpler. We have also uh, utilized various forms of immunosuppression that are novel. Uh, the programs that I've been at have actually developed ProGraph and other forms of uh, immunosuppression. There's a great deal of skill in, uh, in using conventional immunosuppression for older individuals, for example, and not just following a protocol tailoring the therapies to the patient. And lastly, we have developed inhalational forms of immunosuppression and I believe will help change the field that we actively give to our patients.
1: Yeah, I would just second that and, and
4: emphasize
1: the importance of innovation in our field. And Aldo and I in particular uh, have always been um, eager to be at the forefront of new technologies, new procedures, new medications, new therapies to embetter the lives of our patients. Um, and we will continue to do so uh, now at Northwell. Thank you to our
0: guests, Paul Travolos, Dr. Aldo Iacono, and Dr. Zachary Khan, And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. On behalf of David Reich-Hale, I'm Rob Hoyle, and this has been
5: 20-Minute Health Talk. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20-Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.